Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese, here as always with Nima Tavali. Another fantastic weekend of Serie A football. Napoli winning again, Inter getting back to winning ways. Milan, their resurrection continues. Ciro Immobile, some people saying he was old. Well, he is back with a bang for Lazio. Three goals in a n- number of days. Ole Sol back in scoring his first goal for a decimated Roma. Max Allegri is a very, very angry man at Juventus. While Atalanta suffer a shock loss to Lecce, we're going to be debating all of that. We also have the, the Champions League to look forward to this week with Napoli and Inter in action, plus the second legs of some big games in the Europa League and the Conference League. So lots to talk about. For all our first-time listeners, this is our free weekly episode, which we do every Monday, reviewing the weekend Serie A action and all the biggest talking points in Italian football. If you want to support the Italian Football Podcast and receive all of our content that we do throughout the week, including our weekly Q&A episode every Tuesday, where we answer all the questions sent in from our Patreons, plus the weekly Thursday midweek review show, plus interviews, post-match reaction, and much, much more, then go to patreon.com slash TIFP and you can become a subscriber for just $2.99 a month plus VAT. For all of you listening on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc., we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and a, and a follow or subscription as this uh, really helps to uh, yeah spread the gospel of Serie A and Italian football. Okay, let's get straight into it. Let's start at the top then, the top of Serie A, and Napoli winning again, 2-0 this time at Sassuolo on Friday evening. They played a, a little bit earlier because they're preparing for the Champions League. Um, same same old story for, for, for Napoli, um, the same two men shining. It was the, the Quara Ossimen show yet again. Uh, <coughs> for them scoring. Uh, Clara's first goal, absolutely incredible. He dribbled from, from the halfway line past two players um, and then deliberately, I should add, mm. shot through the defender's legs to, to, to make it 1-0. Ossiemen doubled it with a with a missile of a goal. It was a, not the best goalkeeping, but it was a, an absolute rocket of a shot. Uh, he probably should have had a hat-trick. Um, these two are are unstoppable. They 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 have 28 goals between them now in Serie A and only one of those goals are a, is a penalty, which I find astonishing. Um, between goals and assists, they have 46 goal contributions in all competitions this season. Remember, we're still in February. Um, Clara has 12 goals and 12 assists in all comps. Uh, Ossiman is racing away with a couple of Canieri, Crown, 18 goals. He's now scored seven games in a row which makes him the first Napoli player to score seven successive Serie A games for 28 years. Um, and uh, Napoli now have two players in double figures in Serie A, which uh, as of Saturday, when I checked, the only other team uh, teams uh, in Europe, or in Europe's big five leagues, that have more than one player on double figures uh, this season in league play was PSG with their front three and Monaco with Ben Yedda and uh, Mbolo. So, yeah, these two players, I mean, they're absolutely world-class players. There's no other really way to describe them. But the question I wanted to ask you, Nima, is are they the best attacking duo in <clears throat> Europe now? I think it's difficult to say that they're not. Who would be better? Um, what combination would uh, would be better um, uh, than, than Kvarat Khelian or Viktor Osiman? Um, and it's just... It's it's not just the goals; it's the individual quality of these two, especially Kvaratskhelia. 
I don't think Victor Osimhen will ever become a candidate to win the Ballon d'Or. I'm becoming more and more convinced that Richa Kvaratskhelia will, will win it at some point. He is. This talent that he has, he is a talisman. The technical ability, the ability to dribble with both feet, the ability to shoot with both feet, the low center of gravity, these are the kinds of players who become, you know, poster boys of football, who win the Ballon d'Or. That's the level of talent that that he's displaying that he is. It's just bizarre. It's genuinely insane. That first goal was just, that was greatness. To me, that is that that just was a that that's not a player in just in good form. That's 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 a that's a superstar in the making, and and he's played at this level consistently this season. Even though he was a little bit injured, um, he came back and now he's looking better than before. This kid is, I mean, what have Napoli what have Napoli bought here? It's just insane. And then you've got Osiman, and look, Gabriel Batistuta should maybe look over the shoulder. Uh, because, um, you know, Batistuta set the record and Qualiarella matched it, although Batistuta doesn't believe that he Qualiarella did match it, but 11 goals in a row, in this 11 matches in a row in the Serie A. Uh, Osimen is at seven. Batistuta needs to start looking over that shoulder. I, I'm looking at the fixture list here, and it's not impossible that this run could go on. And, uh, you know, they play Empoli, uh, Napoli play Empoli away uh, on the weekend. Um, and then they have Lazio at home and Atalanta away. Um, and then Torino and Milan. These are difficult games, of course. But does anyone really bet against Osimhen not scoring in every single one of those games? Even if Napoli lose or drop points? I not, sure. not, the way, not the way that he, that they're both these two up front are playing. Um, I mean, they're just so, inc- so complete in their own ways. I mean, Osimhen... Can you tell me a single weakness in his game, Ossiman? Yeah, I think sometimes he's a little bit too eager in the finishing. But Finish, then now you're, yeah, really, yeah that, that's that's the only thing. But other than that, no. I mean, there's but no which, clear that, But he has improved his finishing so much. Exactly. In, fact, in a weird kind of way, this game at the weekend is probably the first time we saw some of his old snatchy finishing. Yeah. Um, because he 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 missed two that he should have put away. The po- he hit the post in yeah. the first half with one, which he should have buried. Really, he had the whole. Yeah corner to put it in Um, I think he just got rushed a little bit at the end because the defender kind of closed in at the end Uh, and then there was one where he slid it wide in the second half so you know but uh, I mean the thing with Ossiman is and the the same with Clara but with Ossiman how if you're lining up a team to play against him what do you do against him because if you go into a low block he's so strong with his back to goal um, you know if you try and press high up the pitch, he can play on the last man and run in behind you. He's got fantastic movement. Um, you know, if you get tight to him, he can roll you. He's so strong. If you if you give him a few yards, he'll he you know he'll he'll do a moment of magic and he'll get a shot away. I mean, it's like you know you how would you play against him? Mm-hmm. And with Kavara, in the same in a different kind of way, but the same. It's like will you defend with a low block? Well, he's absolutely fantastic in tight spaces and breaking down. You know, uh, you know, breaking down deep defenses with a with a clever dribble or 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 a feint or a, a little pass or a little one-two, but you 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 defend high up the pitch where he he'll destroy you on the counter and on the transitions with his pace and his dribbling and and you know so it's like you there's there's no way you know like when sometimes you say teams get found out you can say with some teams like like we said with Milan you know Milan got found out to an extent because everybody saw that in Serie A anyway that. 
most of their danger was coming down the left-hand side with Teo and, and Rafael Leal. So they, you know, they looked at, you know, that's how they stopped them. Um, you know, with, with teams, like, even with Pep Guardiola teams, you know, teams know that, well, if you go toe-to-toe and you play with a high line, well, they'll kill you. But if you go deep with a deep defence, well, you know, that you can you can sometimes make and make their possession a bit sterile sometimes you know sometimes <laughs> but with napoli it's like what do you do you know if you play one way well they'll just they'll just they'll just change and they'll and they'll use their other weapons you know so i think this is this is the thing with napoli and also the other difference i would say with napoli compared to the big 3 is um you know they 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 go one nil up but they push for the second goal you know they 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 blow you away uh, and this is, I mean, this is something we'll come on with Juventus, you know, because there's been a lot of criticism of Allegri over this in the Nantes game where they went 1-0 up and then he just contained and controlled. Well, you know, Napoli blew Sassuolo away in the early stages. They went 2-0 up, uh, destroyed them, and then they took their foot off the gas. And in truth, Sassuolo were actually probably a little bit unlucky in this game. I actually thought they did all right, Sassuolo. But, you know, Napoli, they, they get ahead and then they can preserve and conserve their energy uh, later on in the game. Yeah, they do. They do. They do play like that. It's pedal to the metal until the game is won. Yeah. Uh, and they rotate, and then they bring on Cholito Simeone, who scores every 50, every fifteen seconds he plays. Mm. Uh, uh, it's, he, he and he was, scored again in this, but yeah, he, was he did he got offside. Yeah, it was, it was offside on Chucky yeah. Lozano. Mm. No, look, they they are they are they're in the form of their lives. This is going to be the this is going to be a coronation. It's not a race. It's a coronation. Um, but but I'm not you know. Beware! After the Napoli, after the Empoli game on the weekend, it's Lazio at home, Atalanta at home, uh, Torino away. That's a difficult game for everyone, and Milan at home. In between that, they've got two games against Eintracht Frankfurt. So this is this is not this, easy. Yeah, so no, but, no, this is where they're going to be tested because after yeah. the, after the Milan game, it's Lecce, Hellas, okay, Juve. But I mean, after that, if mm. if they go clean, if they if they if they have a fifteen point minimum lead after the Milan game, then <laughs> then I think we're talking all time record breaking Serie A wins here. Like we're, we're we're like what what what's the level? But the distance between one and two, you know. Yeah. People, what is the all time record? We'll have to find that out. Yeah, we will. Um, I I know like the, the the highest distance anyone has ever finished. I think if they, I think. That, that Napoli are going to win the Scudetto is obvious to anyone who isn't, you know, superstitious and from Naples. But the question is, are they going to reach 100 points? And are they going to break the all-time record in terms of distance between the first and second when they when they win it? That's the question we're asking here. Um, th- that's the questions I'm asking anyway. But yeah. Uh, and also, can they go through against Eintracht Frankfurt? Um, which I think it would be. Uh, you know that would be a failure if they didn't. Yes, Eintracht are a good side; they're flying in the in, in the um, in the Bundesliga, but Napoli are a better side, and they have to, and there are goals to be had, and they're a leaky side. They attack teams, Eintracht. Yeah, well, we'll come to that. We'll come to the Champions League after. Mm. Um, one thing that we that I do want to raise, um, I want you to talk about Nima. Is this this Napoli yeah. black base? Um, 
situation. Okay, so a little bit of a background here. So Napoli Magazine, it's not a club. It's not a mm, club outlet. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Napoli. It's, it's a, it's an outlet that covers Napoli, right? They did a story and they posted on social media of a kid, of a boy. I think he's like six, seven years old. I can't remember exactly how old he is, but he was in the hospital. He was three months in the hospital. He was, um, paralyzed for three months for an for an illness and he recovered miraculously from it um and as a tribute to his hero victor Ossiman, he paints his face his par- him and his parents paint you know not the parents obviously allow it but he paints his face black full with a mask that you know dyes his hair the whole thing and and this was done as a tribute to um to victor Ossiman. now there was of course backlash to this and 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 they deleted the post and they deleted the article and it kind of raised the issue of well obviously this wasn't done with malicious intent um you know what you know the, what is you know the, the history of blackface in what country and so on and so forth and what it means and and all that stuff so we had two two of our listeners were uh, sent sent in and they kind of disag- a little bit disagree with one another. And I'm going to read what they both sent because it's incredibly well thought out. Um, and I think it's very well explained. One of them is uh, Vincenzo Bertillo, who's one of our patrons. He says, my thoughts on this is, is this appropriate? No, it's not. Did, the, did this kid and his family do this out of hate to Ossiman or black people? No. Blackface was historically mainly a big issue in North America. Hence, we all know it's wrong. To support Koulibaly after he was racially abused, prominent Napoli fan and chef Gino Sorbillo also painted his face black as to say, we are all with you. He had good intentions, but it was the completely wrong way of expressing solidarity. Hopefully they will learn with time, but it's the Italians who chant, chant monkey noises and throw bananas that I feel we should be battling against first and foremost. Now I was also sent a um, I was also sent a message uh, from another uh, listener of ours, uh, Rafa, um, who uh, who sent a really thoughtful message who disagrees a little bit with Vinny here, and he says, uh, and he they've got their own podcast called the Napoli Napoli Rant. His name is Ra- Raffaele. He says. Growing up in New York City, one of the most diverse cities in the world, it's practically required to understand and respect various different cultures. That said, a young Napoli fan emulating his hero, despite maybe a poor decision as to how to do so, he was maybe and was was inappropriate and hopeful that it did not come from a place of racism. Blackface in North America is, however, unmistakably historically racist. And for context, Rai in 2021 has made it policy to not display any blackface performances in their broadcast after Afro-Italian citizens complain. It is something that has been acknowledged in Italy. Napoli has grown to become a global brand. We as Napoli fans must consider the feelings of others internationally if we want to continue to grow. In this case, the fault, in my opinion, lies within the social media page that made the original post. They should know better. But we, as people, should forgive this young boy and his family, while at the same time being aware that such actions are not ideal to express your admiration for your favorite athlete. These are the growing pains of becoming bigger and more influential. And then he ends with Forza Napoli, because obviously he's a Napoli fan. My feelings about this lay somewhere in the middle here. Um, 
look, the historical connotations of blackface being racist is is just there's no dis, you know there's no they're not you know everybody who knows this right and especially in the anglo-saxon culture in the united states and england but the early histories of this there's a book uh, there's a journalist and cultural commentator called john straussbaug who's written a who's written fantastic books about this um of of blackness, you know, he, he, uh, of how they were display, you know, displaying blackness for the enjoyment and edification of white viewers, as he calls it. It dates back to at least 1441, where captive West Africans were displaced in Portugal. Um, you know, uh, th- this is, this is, this is history in it. For example, uh, white people routinely portrayed the black character in Elizabethan and Jacobian theater. For example, in Shakespeare's Othello. However, uh, he writes that Othello and other plays of this era did not involve the emulation and caricature of such supposed innate qualities of blackness as inherent musicality, natural athleticism, etc., that Straussbaug sees as crucial to blackface. Now, this is, as we known it in in I can really recommend his his he's a scholar. He's probably the most leading scholar on this on this in this field, and I can really recommend re- reading his his te- what he's researched here. There is no doubt, but I do kind of agree with Raf as well that look, you're gl- growing now on a global stage, and more people will look at you. And although you may not in your culture in Naples and Italy be aware of the historical connotations in your neighborhood and in your city. But you have to be aware of, as, as you're glo- growing on the global stage, of these, that this is an issue. This is a fact. This is a racist caricature. Maybe not in your country, but in other countries, right? Mm. And as such, you have to be care more careful with that. And, and I agree with that. I agree with that. I also, do, I don't think anyone can, you know, seeing that would, 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 would say that that was a casual racist, expression of casual racism in terms of intent. I think it go, goes back to what, again, what Spalletti said last year when he was talking about Koulibaly and Ossiman in a, in a European Europa League pre-match, saying that black players have tend to have muscle fibers that recover quicker than other players, right? We know that Luciano Spalletti is not a racist because he stood up to his own fans when he was the coach of Zenit St. Petersburg. But Luciano Spalletti is almost 60 years old and comes from a different era. And as such, he will have been, you know, inherently unaware of the racism that he has, that he doesn't understand himself. You know, there's this subconscious racism. We know that there is that. Or racist perceptions. And I think this is a complex issue. I understand, I, I agree with Rafa when he says that with with his statement that stop doing it, Rai, the, the 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 public broadcaster has spoken up against this and decided not to do it. So therefore, you should pay aware. You should be aware as well. Yeah. But it's also, an edu- it's an it's an education thing. Um, of course, at the end of the that's, day, what that, come, that's what I was going to. That's what I was going to come to. That's what I was going to end with. That at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that the act itself was incredibly inappropriate. But we also have to acknowledge that there was no intent here because you're talking yeah. about a child who had been par- paralyzed for three months. He loves Victor Osiman. He's not trying to demean Victor Osiman. That's it. And that's the key point here. That's the key point. You know, if, if the intention wasn't to be racist, it was actually uh, the intention was, was a loving, <laughs> it yeah. was an act of love, you know. Yeah. So for that reason, you know, this, you know, this not 
go hard. There's on, nuance. On, there's let's, nuance. Let's not go, let's not I go understand. Hard now he now that he knows. Now that he's educated. Now next time. He, that won't happen. It won't happen. Hopefully, you, you would help. It won't not, not. It certainly won't for him. But you know, it takes time. Um, the difference is when the act. You know, the intention is is to be you know, discriminatory. You yeah. know, and that's the difference. And mm. and that definitely wasn't the case here. So you know, everybody learns. We move on. Um, let's move on to. But insight. I can really, I can really, really just before we go, I really recommend people to read up on these things because I think this is an education issue. What is blackface? How, how, when did it first turn up? What were the defining characteristics of the racist aspects of blackface? This is academic stuff. And this is part of human culture. It's a part of human culture that we may not like, but the only way we can evolve as human beings is to study it, learn from it and move on. No, that's it. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes people will be unknowingly racist yeah. and they won't know they're doing it. You know, I remember when Cavani, remember when Edison Cavani first came to, um, to, to play for Man United and he yeah. did something, didn't he? I well, he remember. said something, but that's a Latin American culture. Again, yeah. like, you know, the, it, it, I'm not condoning it. I'm just explaining that what is racist in England can sometimes not be racist in Iran or in yeah. South America. It's different cultures. But what we have to understand is that, when we are to work, when we are, we're living together, we have to understand that also it's, it's not a defense either. When you're working on the global stage, everyone is looking at you. No, absolutely. But it's also impossible to know every single well, of course little is. thing about, uh, about a country that you've, you've never been in before. Of course. <laughs> so, of you course. know, there, it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. Uh, Inter, Inter versus Indonesia. Inter, rest players and win, Nima. Yes. Um, Simone, Look, resting Skriniar, Chalanoglu, Lautaro was a good thing ahead of the Porto game by Simon Inzaghi. The Handanovic decision to play him again was just... I, I genuinely don't understand what he thought he was going to gain by doing that because it's an unnecessary risk. When you start Samir Handanovic you, and it goes well, no one's going to thank you for it. But when you start Samir Handanovic and it goes to hell you will be crucified. So it's an unnecessary risk that he took. Um, and luckily, it went in his favor, although I must say, I don't blame Handanovic as such for the finish, but again, Inter concede from the very first shot on target. Um, and, and that's just a fact. But, you know, I know that you might take a different approach to, you know, the, the goal, the shot was straight at him. He died out of the way. I know that. And people say that, and I think that's fair enough, but it's a good finish. But regardless, Handanovic should never start for Inter again. It's, it, I don't want to even want to go into that shot. He shouldn't start for Inter again, unless it's a Coppa Italia game against Parma. It doesn't make any sense either, because I mean, uh, resting outfield players. Yes, but you don't need to rest a goalkeeper. You don't gain anything from resting a goalkeeper. In fact, you only probably lose mm. <laughs> resting a goalkeeper. You don't need to rest a goalkeeper. Physically, a goalkeeper doesn't need rest. Mm. They don't. They don't mm-hmm. need rest physically. So I don't really see I don't see what there was to gain from playing Handanovic at all in this match. No, I don't either. And the risk of it, I mean risk versus reward was the only risk, no reward. But if we look if we go move on from that, uh, and, and we look at the game itself, the f- Brozovic getting minutes and starting was was very important so that he gets back to match fitness. Um but we saw that when Hakan Chalanoglu plays, Inter's midfield is quicker, the passing tempo is higher, the the passing is sharper, more direct, and he is 
together with Barella and Lautaro, the the most important players Inter have this season. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, and they Inter really, uh, really played well once those changes were made. Now Brozovic is, has been injured most of the season. He's been he's unfit, so I don't want to draw too many conclusions from that. But we know that you know there's no denying that Chalanoglu is becoming. Um, the, one of the most imp- one of the pillars of this Inter, I think what Brozovic does is his positioning and the fact that he runs and covers more space on a football pitch than any human being can and should be able logically to do, is something that he's better than Chalanoglu at. And the calm with which he passes, the calm with which he controls and dictates the tempo, but Chalanoglu is much more direct and sharp. And, and higher passing tempo on the ball. Um, so ideally, you have both of them uh, playing. And then you have Barella, who's a tutto campista and does everything really well. So ideally against Porto, if 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 Brozovic has those minutes in him, I'd love to see Brozovic, Chalanoglu and Barella play together. That's, mm, that's what I wish to see. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I thought, I actually thought that I mean, if you look at the game overall, Inter definitely deserved to win this game. They had many more chances than Udinese, if you look at the XG. But I actually thought that for long spells of this game, Udinese pretty much played on equal terms. With yeah, Inter. they did. Uh, and they were a bit unlucky, a little bit unlucky on the retaken penalty. I, mean, I think by the rules, it probably was the right call. But just as a separate point I want to make, personally, I'm not a fan. You know my opinion on penalties. I feel that, um, and there was, there was an incident like this a, few, a couple of weeks ago as well. Personally, I think that the, the the penalty takers are are they're, they're, too much is given in favour of the of the penalty taker. You know already when a foul is made, a foul can be you know a zero point zero zero one chance of scoring, and they're given a penalty which is a zero point seven five. So already that's that's outweighed already in favour of the of the of the the attacker. But secondly, that the idea that uh, a penalty can be taken, the keeper saves the penalty. And then it gets retaken for encroachment. And there was encroachment here. And by the rules, it probably was the right decision. But there's encroachment. And then the, the, the penalty take, the, the, the attacking team get to take another penalty with another 0.79 uh, chance of scoring, all again, just, you know, and they've just missed the penalty. I mean, I understand that the defender that encroached got there before Lukaku and he stopped him getting the rebound. I totally understand that. But I just feel, again, it's just another example of, you know, the attacker getting all the benefits, um, you know, that that's a, that's a separate talking point. And the other point I would make is that at one all, Isaac's success missed an absolute sitter at one all just seconds before Makatarian went down the other end and scored. So, you know, again, this game could have been very different and we could be here sitting talking about was Zanzaghi right about, you know, making these changes. Um, but as it's turned out, I think it's been great for Inter because they've got to arrest some key players um, before this Porto game, and they're going to go into this Porto game a lot fresher than than they would have been if they'd have played, uh, you know, Skriniar, Chalanoglu, Lautaro from the start. So, I think it's worked out pretty well for Inter um, altogether. No, it did. It really did um, because Inter won. Uh, they get some calm after that dreadful display against uh, Sampdoria, where they, you know, where they were nervous. And of course, Lukaku comes out and says before the game, which I think is the most important thing. He says, "Look, our my, you know, Nicolo Barella is one of. If I were to go to war, uh, I and, and I choose someone to go with me, I choose Nicolo Barella. He's one of the best players I've ever played with. Our relationship is like this." I mean, that puts an end to all the stories about, you know, their little spat. Um, and, and that's good. That was good. It was, it was, it was a nice feeling. Um, but overall, 
you know, Lukaku, I know this leads nicely into our next point. I, I, yeah, let me ask the question. So the the question is, right, Lukaku took the penalty first, missed the penalty, terrible penalty, but then he got to, he was fortunate enough that he got to retake it and he, and he, and he put away, buried the, 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 the second penalty to put into a head, but he gave the ball away for the Udinese equaliser, which not many people have picked up on from what I've seen. He gave the ball away with a terrible pass across the field. Uh, suicidal pass, Udinese broke, they scored. Uh, and I have to say, all in all, his overall game was, wasn't was terrible, but I would say it was average, really, at best. Bottom line is, he's a shadow of the Lukaku we know right now. Um, so we're now in, well, we're nearly in March. <laughs> Should Inter retain him? at the end of the season? Um, I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. And I, I don't care if Inter can't get Marcus Turam. I think that money is best spent elsewhere because I think Romelu Lukaku, given what he costs, given where he is in his career, will never, ever again be the top-level striker he was and under which he consistently played for under Antonio Conte. I think... I think even if he will play better than he's doing now, he will never be that striker again. And Inter already have a striker who's past his best in Edin Dzeko. And Inter already have players that are past their best, and they need to be looking at players who are going to hit their peak, not players that are on their way down. And given how much he costs, his wages, I think it would be a mistake. I really think it would be a mistake. And I think... um, it's 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 evident that he can't be that player again. He doesn't have that. You know, we've spoken about how he's played elite football since he was 15 years old and he's pushing 30, so that's 15 years. I think that's a valid point. He's a human being. At some point, your body breaks down, you know? You can't push it. And, and I think he's kind of maxed out his body and um, what he can get out of it. I think from here on now, what he can do is manage it to to so that it's a slow decline and improve other aspects, um, maybe to, to 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 prolong his career. But I don't think he is what Inter need, and I don't think that at that price Inter should should um, should keep him. As for Porto, that's a really interesting debate. Yeah, because should Porto, he start? Should Lukaku start against Porto? Um, look, you have Pepe. The Porto captain, the legendary, the Portuguese uh, ball buster uh, in 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 defence, and he's not he's also older, but he's still physical and a mean sob. If you're going to play Lukaku, you have to play the ball at his feet with his back against the goal, and he and Pepe will clash. And I don't, and that's that 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 gives Lukaku an advantage, hopefully, over Pepe. Equally. You can play Jeko, who likes to drop uh, to drop deep and play and try to drag Pepe out of position, and play Lautaro or whoever from behind. I think it's it's one of those tactical things because remember Porto are lacking. They have I think about eight players injured, um, and like st- starting players injured. So you know that's 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 I think both arguments are valid. Personally, I'd rather start Lukaku because Lukaku is not an impact sub. Uh, he need, he he he's never been an impact sub, um, and I think he's the kind of player who you who needs to start and work his way into a game rather than than Jeko, who we know when he comes on he he immediately you know 
he goes into the rhythm of the game and he, he changes, you know, adapts to how, and, and he plays differently and, and Inter adapts as well. So I, I'd probably, I'm leaning to, I'm not fully decided yet, but I'm leaning towards Bas, um, Onana in goal, of course, Skrini Acer, Acerbi, Bastoni, uh, Darmian, Barella, Brozovic, uh, Cialanoglu, Di Marco, Lukaku, Lautaro. That's how I would start against Porto. Fair play. Fair play. Okay, let's move on to Milan then, who win 1-0 uh, again. Um, what, what, I mean, who's, who's in charge of Milan right now? Is it, is it Allegri or is it Stefano Fioli? Another 1-0 another win. Um, the Milan improvement continues. Third, third game in a row, as I said. Um, I think that um, the, they, they have sorted out the defence. Uh, no, undoubtedly, that, that's one thing that you can that you can certainly you can certainly say. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a fantastic performance, but um, but you know it was um, they, you know they they look so, they look solid again uh, against Tottenham and in this game against Monza. They they really they barely conceded a, a single clear chance. I mean, I think the only chance really that Monza had was it wasn't a great chance. It was it was a great effort. Was the the the, when they hit the post um, at the end um, um, with a shot from the edge of the area. Um, and that's it, really. And against Tottenham, there was nothing at all. There was just a header off a corner from Eric Dier. Dier uh, and that's it. So, you know, in two games, to basically concede, what, you know, a couple of half chances, um, that's really, really good going. I think that <coughs> the back three were all excellent in this game again. Uh, Tamori, Kalulu and, and Tior, who's really, he's, he's really developing into, you know, uh, a really, 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 really interesting player uh, now, Tior. Let's see if he can, you know, if he can keep it up. Um, I think that the attack still needs to improve. The, the attack isn't flowing in this in this three four two one formation. Um, so I don't think Milan are are out of the woods yet. They, they do have a tough run of fixtures coming up. You know, Atalanta, Fiorentina, and then Tottenham again. So that will be those will be bigger tests, I think. Um, but things are, yeah, they, they are much, much more encouraging. Um, and they are also getting the injured players back. Tamori's back. He played in this game and he was good. And we've just had the news that Benacer and Magnon are expected to play this weekend. Um, Magnon no, so- is incredibly important for how they defend because I think playing that back three of Tomori, Kalulu, Chao, and with Magnon, you know, in back full, you know, take a while before he's match fit fully. But he, again, his, his quickness, his control of the ball with his feet his command of the area that will allow you know he, it's, it's, that that's he's the fourth central defender um and that will allow milan to play with a higher back line again and and to press higher up again um and i gotta say ciao malik ciao i mean whoa <laughs> what i did not see that one coming i i gotta be honest with you mm. um he's he's looking like quite the quite the player they've discovered there. I mean, it's still too soon, but this back three, Tomori, Kal- Kalulu, Chao, and Mignon at the back, that's, 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 that's becoming, it's got all the makings of a really interesting defense, doesn't it? Uh, and with Teo doing Teo uh, on, on the left, Benasser, Tonali, and, and, you know, a double pivot, it's, it's, it's looking interesting. And Leao looking better and better with every game uh, playing as an, as this kind of inverted, winger. Uh, I've been saying that I think the key to Milan getting out of this is to play uh, Leao more centrally, cutting in. Um, 
And I think using Giroud as a target man is is the right thing to do. And Brian Diaz has been outstanding in, in that other role. And I honestly believe that the Kettler, I think this system suits the Kettler more in order to to get, finally get him to 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 start showing the talent that we know he has, but is yet to show. Uh, my only question is, of course, the right as again, again, the right side, the right flank. Um, I think Junior Messias is 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 a stopgap, is is like a you know band aid on 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 a, on on this on this wound that Milan refuse to 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 administer to Selemakers does a decent job I don't think Calabria can play there I think he's a right center back um and then you've got Florenzi but we don't know when is he coming back is he back already or what's happening there he's back he's, he was definitely back in training last yeah. week yeah, yeah so, so so maybe one of Florenzi and Selemakers but again regardless of what Milan do in the summer if they're going to play a 4-3-3 if they're going to play a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1 however you want to play with the numbers they need a right winger whether it's a wing-back or a winger. They need someone to play down that right-hand side. That is a clear weakness, and they should invest in That's where I'd invest in. Yeah, I actually thought I thought Macias was a man of the match when he scored. Uh, yeah, I thought I he was actually really, really good in this game. But but yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah absolutely. And we, we, we say that all the time about the right-hand side. But, Milan's but think- right-hand side is the new Lazio central defence issue. Like yeah. We say this year after year after year. They need to address this. Mm. Yeah, no, they do, they do. But I mean, I think there's the there's there's a lot more. There's lots of encouraging signs. Um, each game, we're getting a new one, and I think Teo is definitely back to his best again. And he was, uh, you know, in this game, certainly against Tottenham, he was absolutely fantastic. And again, in this game, I thought he was he was good. Um, you know, Giroud managed to get a bit of rest in this game, which was much much needed. Um, so yeah, it's um, it was a, another good another good day. From, Just one from final point on this. Moving forward, if this is how Milan are going to play, and they can, and they get to extend the contract with Leao and they keep him over the summer next season, I honestly believe that they shouldn't invest in a striker. Uh, they should invest in a right wing back because Lorenzo Colombo is someone they can integrate into this system. I think Lorenzo Colombo's size and stature, and he's actually a technical player, that's someone who can play and learn from Giroud in this system. And he's done really well and impressed at, at Lecce. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a starter at Milan, but I do think he will do a better job than Origi's doing, for one. Um, and I think he should, I think, I really think that it also kind of ticks the box of Milan around homegrown and young players. I think Milan should really look to get rid of Origi, to be honest. And I think Slatan will probably have to call it a quits on his career because he's not played now for, what is it, a year? So that's money being yeah. saved. So, no, I, I think Colombo is the way to go. But right wing back. Please yeah. buy a right wing back. <laughs> <laughs> you love you love talking about Colombo. I think he's going on your next bingo card. He no, he, but look, if you watch <laughs> this, bring great. back Colombo. No, but he really should. I really want him. To, I really think they will. They will. They will. They will. They will. Like it will. It will serve them well if they did that. I really like this kid. He's the thing is he's he's not just big and he's actually pretty technical. No, no, he is technical. Um, he's very technical. He's got great he's got, we saw the goal he scored against yeah, Napoli, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. season. I just it's just whether or not at the age of twenty whether he needs to be playing regularly or whether he should be playing as a bit part substitute. I don't well, know. I mean, but, Tonali came in for a season and had his Fare Gavetta season where he learned one season. The Kettler's doing it now, so obviously yeah. Milan have that kind of that's their project. 
then why not bring Colombo in after having played one full season in the Serie A for a Lecce that's doing really well and, and you know, give him that season as a backup to with mm. Origi in the squad and, and give him as that, as a, as a, as a, you know, give him that chance. Mm. I really we'll see. That's... We'll see. I would like to hope that he can eventually take over from Giroud, but we will see. Talking of takeovers, um, Elliot Management Corporation are... Um, there was a report over the weekend that, that the US hedge fund had uh, provided its availability to to finance the, the takeover of, of Manchester United. And um, according to, to, well, widespread reports, really, that Elliot have have informed Rain, who are the the investment bank that are handling the the process of the of the Man United takeover, that that they uh, Elliot are, are available to provide financing. And if um, if Man United are, are not sold, we know they're up for sale. That uh, Elliot have uh, have also offered to provide financing to the current owners, the the, the, the Glazers family. So they basically offered the their services to, to be involved in financing Manchester United um, going forward. Um, so this has got, uh, I mean, th- this has prompted quite an unhappy reaction from, from Man United fans um, that they, they are concerned. I think generally there's always a general concern whenever any hedge funds get involved over, well, what are their ambitions for the club? Is it just as what most hedge funds is, which is to buy in order to sell on for a profit? Uh, is it to asset strip? Um, you know, and, the, the the these are the concerns that were there among Milan fans when when Elliot took ownership of of of, of Milan in in 2018 and uh, just to, to rewind this happened when Milan's previous Chinese owner uh, Li Yong Hong failed to repay his um, it was a, a loan of 300 million euros that he owed to the hedge fund he failed to repay defaulted and and um, Elliot took over and there there was a lot of concerns at the time um, Milan were were in complete shambles on and off the pitch. They were so hundreds of millions in debt. Um, they'd just gone, I think, a sixth season without even getting into the top four, in, without getting into the Champions League. They hadn't won the Scudetto since 2011, and you know there were fears that Milan would 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 be driven into the into the ground, really. Uh, and to be honest, this was kind of you could understand these these feelings because if you ever look at the history of of the involvement of Elliot. With with I mean just Google Elliot Argentina <laughs> just Google that and see the history in that country and all the problems and uh, that happened mm-hmm. there um, <clears throat> to, to to see it's too long to ex- too long and complicated to explain yeah. it here but you you will see so there was a lot of fears basically but you know what as we look back now five years on and Elliot sold the club uh, in um, uh, September 2022 to to Redbird Capital. Uh, for 1.2 billion. If we look at the time, the four years or so that that um, that Elliot were in charge of Milan, we have to say they did a they, they did an absolutely fantastic job of rebuilding and resurrecting Milan as a maybe not a European powerhouse because that's not really possible for Italian teams, but certainly it's a powerhouse of of Italian football. Which they weren't when they when they inherited them, um, and you know they, there's a lot of successes which I'll quickly go through. Um, they reduced Milan's debts massively. Um, they still have debts, but they've, they've, they've reduced them hugely. They they did this really by by a couple of things. First of all, they, they installed a, a salary ceiling and they were paying, overpaying players, not particularly good players, huge, huge, huge salaries, um, which was a legacy thing going back to the time of Berlusconi, when Berlusconi took over, of paying such huge, huge salaries to players. Uh, and then their transfer policy was based around scouting, buying and developing young players rather than 
than established uh, players. So they went out and looked and scouted for teenagers and and young players. And um, they 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 brought back Paolo Maldini, who had been in exile for for years since since he retired as a player. Um, Stefano Pioli was uh, was 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 installed um, as football, and there was a kind of a clear identity really from top to bottom. They they modernised the club on and off the pitch. Pioli played this modern football, kind of attacking, high intense, high press football, uh, and the transfer policy was 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 magnificent. They, they you know they, if you look at the players that they signed as as pretty much nobodies or as youngsters, and the the way that they developed into stars. I mean, Rafael Liao, Teo Hernandez, the two big ones, but you know, you've got Tamori, you've got Kalulu, you've got Tonali, you've got Ben Asser, And then you look at some of the other youngsters that developed there. They weren't necessarily signed like, uh, you know, like Donnarumma, for example. I mean, everything was about building a kind of a sustainable project and, you know, look at the results. They, they, they got back in the Champions League and then they won overachieved, overachieved I would say, in winning their, their first Scudetto in 11 years uh, last year under Pioli. And when they left Milan in September, they left them in a in a in a in a much 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 infinitely uh, healthier state, both financially and and sportingly. So I think you know, wouldn't you agree, Nima, that they did a did a very good job? They did an absolutely fantastic job, and I think it started with who they appointed. They appointed Paolo Scaroni, who is one of the most impressive. Italian business people around. I mean, he's the guy. He was, he was a CEO of Fortune 500 companies. NL, any, you know, these these companies are are not small companies. Uh, and he's the chairman uh, since 2018. They appointed Gazidis to put in a structure. We did a fantastic job until he left. Mm. And Paolo Maldini as the foot to, to, as as the sporting CEO, sort of so quote unquote. And in my opinion, probably the best sporting director in all of Italy, Enrique Massara, who is brilliant at finding young, talented players and 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 a coherent project of, and and matching a coach to that. That's what they did right, and they all and 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 everyone knew what was what they had to do in terms of the financial ceiling and and the debt reduction. And, and look at the results. I mean, since then they they've returned to the Champions League. They are they they've they're now in the round of last 16 for the first time in a decade at the second attempt back in the champions league, they won the Serie A. Um, you, mm. you can't say any, and, and you can't say anything, you know, you can't say that they did not do a good job there. No, the, um, the scouting department as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Monsada, Monsada, Jeffrey Monsada, the, that they got uh, from Monaco. Um, he mm. was at Monaco during the the years when they were developing. Remember all those great youngsters yeah, yeah. when Mbappe yeah. and Fabinho and yeah. and um, you know Lots. all these kind of you know all those great players. Um, you know they they got him and he's come in and I think there's no uh, you know it's no coincidence that that when he came the the amount of great youngsters they were scouting often from the French market. Uh, a lot of players from the French market. Magnon, we should really include, even though he wasn't super young for a goalkeeper, mm. he was. And look what's happened to him. He's he's genuinely, I think, top five in the world now in his position. So, you know, I think um, they, yeah, they, they 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 did a great job. And there was there was a lot of doubts. We all had doubts. No, anybody that says they didn't have concerns, are lying, are lying. Everybody did. Everybody, and I'm not going to lie, including myself. I was very very worried um, because we know what hedge hedge funds generally. We know what they're modus operandi is isn't it it's to mm. increase the value and sell but they yeah. did it in a way that benefited everyone including themselves so in that sense they did a great job whether or not man united are in the same situation that that 
Milan were that it would benefit them taking over? I don't know. I don't know because it feels like, you know, Man United are in the Premier League with all the riches of the Premier League and with all the and riches. And it's also Man United. Like, yeah, it's with a all different the ball I mean, game. Yeah. It's a different ball game in that, you know, you wouldn't go to Man United. They couldn't possibly go to Man United and run the club in the same way that they no, run Milan. No cost-cutting no. and, and with low salaries. They just couldn't. They couldn't run it in if a they could do a version of it, which kind of yeah. Eric Ten Hag is kind of already doing, isn't he? Like, he's kicking out, like, the way he handled the Cristiano Ronaldo situation, the way that he's built, uh, again, this kind of um, credibility in the dressing room uh, around players that you either deliver or you don't. Um, and and I, I think, I mean, well, it depends on who takes over. I, I think I understand it more i mean i still think that the qataris might will take over and my money is on them i could be wrong yeah but we'll see me too but, me too yeah. yeah but i mean we'll see but i do think that if elliot take over they'll do a hybrid uh and that's kind of what sir alex ferguson did didn't he i mean he didn't he was very responsible he had amazing success but he was responsible he didn't just hand out golden contracts left right and center no. No. And I think that's what that's what Elliot would do at, at Manchester United as well. Yeah, I mean they're not gonna they're not gonna run the club. They, they, so that that needs to be made clear. Mm. You know they're not bidding for the club no. to take ownership of the club. They're bidding to help with the financing. So it's different in that way as well. But I just wanted to talk about this just to dispel the myth that I've seen all over among Man United fans, and that it's kind of been spread that somehow um, Elliot were. A complete failure and destroyed Milan. That, that, that I have seen this widespread. Yeah, I did. I, a I've certain, seen this a widespread. Lynch, a Man United influencer said it. Yes. Uh, who I uh, I had to quote tweet and, and, and make fun of because that was, was Goldbridge. Was Goldbridge one of them? It was Goldbridge tweet. I quote tweeted. Um, oh right. Did he say he? Did he say that Elliot? He said. Was, was I, I, can re- I can read it for you because it's I mean so, I'm just guessing because he's usually the first one to. He to said to that Elliot group from USA did a terrible job with AC Milan, then oh, sold right. them. Not a good candidate in my opinion. And I <laughs> and I quote tweeted that and said, "You're right. Elliot forced Milan to return to the Champions League and punished them further by winning their 19th Serie A title. And if that wasn't bad enough, they appointed Paolo Maldini as a director who rejuvenated the squad with lots of talented young players." Hashtag pray for Milan. I mean, he's an idiot. The man's an idiot. He literally is one of the dumbest people in the United Kingdom. And that, and there is competition for that title. So, well done. (laughs) I love it. Okay, right. Um, (laughs) Talking about dumb. Um, Right. (laughs) Great segue today. (laughs) Although I disagree with that. I don't think that... Well, listen, what I want to make this segue out, let's let's talk about Juventus. Um, I don't want to talk about that just unwatchable, boring game that was Spezia against Juventus. I want to talk about the big talking point around Juventus based on the last two games, the last four, four days, which... Which Allegri really has made it, has made this the talking point really by his outburst after the Nantes game, um, and that is this idea that Allegri only wants to win by one nil. Um, and it came after he he, he was heavily criticised after the one all draw with with Nantes, uh, and rightfully so, I, I should add. And he was he was asked in a post match interview with Sky. Um, about the wanting to win one 0 and I'll, I'll read out what he what he he said. That he was very angry, and he, he said, "I never said I wanted Juve to win one 0 You drive me crazy with this rubbish. It's the cliche that I want my teams to win one 0 but that is not accurate. It's simple. Look at all the statistics of my teams. I've always had the best defense and the second best attack. You cannot escape from the stats. Look at Milan and Juventus. That is my record. My teams always score seventy to eighty goals per season. You lot chat about nothing." 
I talk about numbers. That is a problem. I know you have to sit here and talk about nothing to kill time, but I don't. You imagine this, create the story, then keep spreading it. You see that, see things abstract. I see what is concrete. You've got all the statistics. Look at them up. Uh, in football, there is just one thing that counts, winning games. It doesn't matter if it's 1-0 or 5-0. Nonetheless, the fact remains that my team's always had the best defence and second best attack. Right, OK. So what I would say to this is... Um, the evidence in, in the last three games, including this this game against Spezia, um, as with pretty much all the season, really, is is that unfortunately this is this is what I mean we could go further back, but let's just talk about this season, is that this is the way Allegri plays. When Juventus go ahead, instead of attacking for the second goal, like Napoli, like I said with Napoli earlier on, they sat you know, they sit back and they try to hold on to what they had. They play a controlling and containing game. And um, that doesn't mean they always play Catanaccio or they play with 10 men on their on their own goal line. That doesn't always mean that, but it means that they're not actively going for the second goal. They're just playing a control, controlling and containing game. Um, against Fiorentina, they were 1-0 up. He took Chiesa and Di Maria off with the last 15-20 minutes. They brought on two central midfielders. They played actually played a low block in that game. They were lucky not to draw. Jovic headed wide with a great chance, and they had a goal disallowed in the 89th minute by VAR for the, you know, a tiny hairbreadth of an offside. Then against Nantes, which I'm really so angry about him for, for, is they went 1-0 up against, let me just add, a terrible team. Nantes are all, they're dreadful. I still think that Juventus will go through, by the way, but dreadful. Um, And they just, he just contained, they went up in the 13th minute, they just contained and controlled the game from the 13th minute until the 60th minute when when Nantes Nantes scored. They created nothing in in between them, no clear chances. Nantes equalised, and then that woke Juventus up, and they created chance after chance after chance, and they were unlucky. They should have won the game. They got the refereeing call that went against them at the end. Um, and, and then again, in this game against Spezia, where, okay, Juventus won 2-0, so they didn't win 1-0. But really, they were they were pretty much horrible the whole game, to be honest. But a 1-0 ahead, again, I mean, they were defending in the area. They were under siege at the start of the second half until Di Maria kind of scored a, scored a goal out of nothing. Um, so, I mean, the truth is that, you know, whatever, however Allegri wants to spin it with this with this post-match interview, is that this is how Juventus play uh, under Allegri. And, you know, you know my view on it. It's, a, it's an outdated style of football. Um you know, if Juventus were to go out to this dreadful non-team, they're dreadful. They're thirteenth in the in their league. Um, this will be or this will be on Allegri. It will be it will be on Allegri. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the referee error. To be honest, it will be on Allegri because at one nil they should have gone out for the second goal and they should have just killed the game, just blown them away. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think that Allegri. I, I don't. I don't know. I know he's feeling the pressure. Uh, I know a lot. There's a lot on his shoulders, and I and I sympathise with him for that because the club is in a mess. There's no one. There's you know everything. He's getting asked everything. He's having to deal with everything. So I totally understand that. But you know what he said in that interview was just completely wrong as well. I mean, he scored 57 goals last season. They didn't score 70 last season, and that was only in the top 12 of Serie A last season. Only Torino scored less. So the 70 to 80 goals is a lie, as is the idea that he never said he wanted to win 1-0. He's, he said it multiple times over the years. He said so, it many times. I'd rather win yeah. 1-0 than 5-4. I mean, that's one of the most... I mean, corto muso. Uh, are you, do, you, do you like horse racing? Um, you know, winning <laughs> by the muscle. I mean, look, it's, it's obvious that he's rattled. He's, you know, he's under pressure. He's not happy. Uh, he didn't envision this season becoming like it is. Um, the 15-point deduction uh, with everything, the criminal com- c- c- case, the five uh, inv- separate investigation, both criminal and civil included, this is not what he wanted to do. Um, you know, this is not what he expected. He feels 
incredibly under pressure, and he's for the first time since he's been at Juve, and the first time since in Juve's history, there's no one, there's no organization in place to protect the coach and the sporting uh, project. There's nothing there, mm. and this this will create pressure. And you could see that in the Italian media yesterday. Sky Club Calcio, Caressa, Bergomi, Marchegiani, uh, what's his name, Costa Curta, uh, all of them. They were deep frying Allegri. Like oh really? They were. What were they going. saying? They were talking about how you know. He was rude. You can't talk like this. You know, Caressa was talking about how, you know, Juve have been abject failure in in the in Europe. If they've only ever beaten one Israeli side this season, they've blah blah. Like they were going at him, um, and then it got so bad after eight nine minutes of this that Caressa had to say that we can't. We we you know we have to calm this down a little bit because he's not here to defend himself. Like mm. it was, it was, they did not take prisoners and that would, that's, that's unthinkable when Juve organization exists because Juve, any journalist will tell you Juventus go after you. They, they don't care. They have no problem being rude and angry and mean and not threatening, but not far off against journalists yeah. who are critical against them. Because when Juventus underperform, like, no, the Nantes game, which was, was which is abysmal that they drew all that game against that standard of team. But everything goes on Allegri. And okay, maybe he, you know he was to blame. He did, you know you have to blame him in that game. But you know before you had Agnelli, you could criticise for the off the pitch stuff. You had um, Paratici and and then the the, the um, Arriva Bene that you could criticise <coughs> for the transfer policy. Well, if you want to criticise Juventus now, it's just Allegri. It's just Allegri. I mean, you're not going to go to anyone there's no one there. Yeah. There's no one there answering the calls, and and I get why he feels frustrated and angry. Yeah. I'm, I, I got to say, I think we're seeing the beginning of the end of Allegri at Juve now. I think, regardless of what happens, I think he he will not accept to stay at Juve under these conditions another season. That I can tell you straight away. He will not accept that. Um, well, you think he, they'd have a structure in place that they would at least have somebody that would face and, up. Yeah, <laughs> a, and, and that's, you know what what he, that's what he will demand. And I'm yeah. not sure. Because otherwise, if, we're talking English football, aren't we? Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about yeah. what Antonio Conte was complaining about. How the yeah, but he no, complains no everywhere. He said the same thing about Inter, and he was right about that though. But yeah, he was he absolutely was, spot on about about what he complained about at the beginning of the year about how there's no yeah, sport. Spurs, there's maybe. no the owner he doesn't talk. He also did it at Inter, and 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 he does it everywhere. He did it at Chelsea. He did it at Inter. He did it at when he was at the Italian national team. He, yeah. He just I mean, on this specific issue yeah. about no, there being... True. It's true. Yeah. It's true. No, it's true. Absolutely. But no, it's, I, I think that Allegri is patient. He's not... He, I think we were... I didn't want to say this uh, because I'm scared of it. I fear it um, as an Inter fan. And also because I like Allegri and I think he could do a job here. I wonder if both of those two clubs don't change manager next year. What, Inter? Yeah, Inter and Juve. Yeah, I'm really starting to get those vibes here, where the the groundwork is being laid for a separation. Um, well, the ownership, there's the the, the no, I wouldn't say the ownership with the Juventus, but the upper management of Juventus, coupled with the ownership situation at Inter, obviously makes both both of their their roles precarious. Really, yeah, so that, that's and always going to be. And, the I'm, case. and I wonder if both of them want to continue under these premises, under these conditions. Um, I, I, I wonder. I really wonder. I mean, if if, if Simone gets into to a quarterfinal or even further than that, there's going to be teams in Europe that will look at him 
Because again, I've always maintained, I think Simone Inzaghi is the Italian coach in my lifetime that I can remember whose playing style is the most suited to the Premier League. Um, and and yeah. and and I and I wonder how I know he's gonna. Ha- I don't. He's not gonna be shy of offers um, mm. if he does well against Porto. Um, and uh, well, that's what. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to the Champions League. We'll come to the Champions League. But I mean, I think with 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 Allegri, uh, absolutely. I mean, if they go out to non, then I, I can't. I can't see how we can possibly. I don't see how there can be any justification um, for keeping him. Um, uh, look, I think season. he's done okay in the league. You know, forty-seven points. If you add those fifteen points, I mean, that puts them in second. Joint second, yeah. Yeah, that's that's you know, he's still in the Coppa Italia, the semi-final. I think they're going to win that tournament as well. Um, the Europa League, I don't really think you know, it, it would be hilarious if they won it because then they would be guaranteed. They are prioritizing. I mean, they're yeah, prioritizing but they should. They have to. They I mean, have they no players. They rest the players for this bet. No, but they have to. They have to. Yeah. They have to win. That's their only chance of getting to the Champions League. Because even if they get the plus Valenza points deducted mm. back, they're going to be hit with the with. Well, let, me, let me just say, I, I still still think Juventus. I mean, Juventus should still go through even after joining yes. this, this non team. Let me say, is a dreadful team. Yeah, it's, it's just it's completely unforgivable to to, to to not go out go for that second goal when you're one 0 up. Mm. Totally unforgivable. That is all on Allegri. I don't even want to hear about the refereeing stuff at the end. Yes, okay, they were unlucky. Mm. They had lots of chances. You know, and nine times out of ten, you're you're going to get a penalty for that. But you know, they were one nil up, and they were just go for the second goal, kill the game, yeah. go two nil, three nil up, rest players in the last half an hour, twenty minutes. If you really want to, you know, rotate your squad around this busy period, why are you playing for the one nil against a team that are thirteenth in Liga? You know, I mean, it's just and had players missing as well. They had a tragedy in their squad. I mean. It's like it just drives you mad. It really does drive you, especially mm. when you see that when Juventus did attack in the lot after non equalised, they created a chance and after chance. Every time they attacked, they created a chance. <laughs> you know, and it's a Juventus attack which generally, genuinely doesn't create many chances, and they were creating chance after chance. So it's oh, it, it just drives you. It, it drives you absolutely mad. But anyway, let's let's move on. Um, the Roman clubs then. Roma and Lazio, they both win. Um, both good weekend for the, the Champions League race for the Roman clubs. Um, first of all, Roma, Solbakken <laughs> scores the winner, his first goal, and in a game which um, actually ends up being a good win for Roma because they were completely decimated without Dybala, without Pellegrini, and then with Tammy Abraham then getting that eye injury, which really frustratingly means he's probably going to miss the return leg against um, uh, Salzburg in the Europa League, which Roma were really unlucky in that Europa League uh, game and um, they should have won the game and they lost it 1-0. Um, so, yeah, good good win for Roma. I thought Spinazzola, the big positive from this game for me was seeing Spinazzola actually play something back to the Spinazzola we, we remembered because we just said on the pod last week, didn't we, Nimmer, about how Spinazzola, it looks like he's never going to be the same player again uh, and he probably no. won't be. He's 30, <coughs> turned 30 now. I mean... It's a shame. It's a real shame because he was such a magical player. But in this game, he was really good. He got a, lo- a magic, mass- mag- magical assist. and get my words out. Uh, and he was really good. He was there, really their attacking outlet uh, in this game. So that was great. I just, I just feel bad for Ricardsdorp. I mean, after the game, Mourinho. It's not like we've got Cafu and Maicon on right wing back, is it? 
And that's a direct quote, by the way. Go and check it up. He literally said it. It's not like we've got Cafu and Mike on down the right foot, the right did, flank. Was it, was it before or after the game? I did see this quote in passing, but I was super busy, so I didn't really check it. Didn't didn't somebody ask him about what are you expecting from Solback? And he says, "Well, not much," <laughs> or, so, or, so, or something like that. Nothing called it. Nothing special, or something like that. I mean, <laughs> look, he, and also, but he did say something. He's always about, ripping Solback. No, but why, why listen, listen, the hell out listen, of him? Listen. Listen. Yeah, no, but he's saying, look, uh, he sent out a real warning there when they asked him about his future. He said, at the end of the season, I will tell, I will say what happened, what has happened, and I will have a lot to say. <laughs> That's again another direct quote. So, look, I know, but, but don't rip soul back. And the poor guy, he's just joined. He didn't you know, rip and him. It's just, it's Mourinho's he style. Is, Mourinho's going to yeah, He said he didn't understand tactics as well. He says he doesn't understand anything about tactics. I can't play. Why did you sign him? Oh my God, don't get me going. Yeah. No. yeah but anyway, PSG apparently have got him on their list as a possible replacement. I mean, can you imagine Mourinho managing Messi oh, and no, 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 he would No, no, he would know how to do that. Like big players, he has no problem managing. That's never no, been no. the problem. It's the players, and I, and that's the thing. I think. Look, I think he's got his eye on both PSG or Real Madrid. He's gunning out for that, and that's why I think Chelsea, Chelsea as well. There's been talk I don't about think Chelsea. He I don't think there's any way he returns to Chelsea. I just don't see that as. I, I wouldn't would be, rule it out. I would I be would not, very I would, surprised. I wouldn't rule it out. Todd Bowley, you never know. Yeah, you but Todd Bowley can do what he wants. But Mourinho would be mad. If he were to return, his family is still in London. His, his, his daughter lives there. And Premier um, League, sure. Chelsea, come on. Third time? Yeah. I mean, he didn't. The way that he left Chelsea as well, the second time, the way that he fried and went after. No, no, I just don't see. I know there's different ownership and different management now. Mm-hmm. None of them are there anymore. So yeah. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't mm-hmm. rule it out. Put it that way. Especially but the way I'll that- tell you this much. I think he now he doesn't care about anything else other than that fourth spot. He's got, he's like a laser. When he's got his target, he knows that the only thing that matters is finishing in the top four. I, and, and to me, the Roma are out of Europe. I can see He wanted the Europa League as well. He definitely wanted the Europa League. Yes. And they were very unlucky. They were very unlucky. I mean, I'm split on that Europa League game because in many ways, I think Roma should have won that game because Sol- Salzburg hadn't played, had played one game in three months, were, were clearly short. They were there for the taking. Roma should have won that game. But again, the problems we've seen all season with their attack. They just don't, they just, their attack just isn't, I mean, I know that's prolific a, become, enough. Yeah. yeah, it's become increasingly a Mourinho problem as the years have gone by. But, you know. Yeah, but if it, you look it, at the XGs, you can't say it's a Mourinho problem when they create so many chances. Well, that was, can't. again, that was true at the beginning of the, the season, but it hasn't been true since. It was That was only true in the first kind of couple of months or so of the season since mm. then. But they, but again, in this game, they did still create enough chances in that Salzburg yeah. game. So, I, I mean, still think, I mean, Pelotti I mean, I mean, just needs to retire. I mean, no, did you see that mean? Don't be mean. I mean, God. I just feel, I feel don't bad be, for him. Say, don't be mean. Don't be mean. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, I feel bad for him. He's he's trying hard and it's not working for him and his body's not responding and he's so out of form and he's got Tammy Abraham in front of him who's actually playing really well. He doesn't get retire. any minutes. No, he shouldn't retire. Don't be silly. He needs to go somewhere where he can play. Um, but he, he is such a loyal player, this guy. I mean, he, he runs and works so hard for the team. Uh, he really sacrifices himself, but no, no I, I do think that maybe it's you know, un- unless he accepts being, being this kind of backup player, then yeah, and and Vinaldum, you know, coming back is also something that we should you know applaud that that that'll, that'll help them for sure. But I think I'm looking at the I look at that table, and even with Juve, 
of the 15 points, Roma are third, tied with Milan for the same points. So, you know, he's got... Mourinho's a shark, and a shark, when he senses blood in the water, like, yikes, you know, he's he's going for that third spot. And Milan, there's no room for for a mistake. And can you just... And and with Lazio just two points behind, that Rome derby, yee! I'm not missing that. Well, absolutely, because Lazio, I mean, it's it's Immobile. You can never never write him off, can you, Immobile? We were asking the question, we weren't really asking him, but we were saying, you know, he's looked old. (laughs) since he's come back from his injury. And then there we go. I mean, that was a, that was a good win in Europe because they got, a, again, another awful refereeing decision in Europe yeah. for an Italian team. That, and they, they did well to get a 1-0 win out of that. Um, mm. You know, I know it's not the best opposition, but still, you play the whole game with 10 men mm. at home. I mean, they could have been in big trouble there uh, and they got the 1-0. And, and we should Immobile. say, we should say happy 33rd birthday to Ciro Immobile, who turns 33 today as we're recording this mm. on the 20th of February. Um, he's now the eighth top goal scorer of all time in Serie A. I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, no it's... I mean, it's been a great week for him. It's been a great week for him. He scored the two goals in um, the Serie A against Salerno. Yeah, we're not, the thing is with Lazio and Sari, it's like when you have Immobile, this is the thing, you start Immobile because it gives you profondità. It gives you like a, a, an attacking edge up front. But if it doesn't work, that's fine because you can bring in and play the the false nine with the others. It, it gives Lazio the option, which they've not had before. And I think that, that that does them well. But one thing they need to stop doing is using Luis Alberto as a penalty taker because he's dreadful as a penalty taker. And he keeps squandering penalties and stop it. Like, stop it. Use someone else. Find someone else. Anyone else, but not Luis Alberto as a penalty taker. Yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, as we said, been a, it's been a good weekend for for the Roman clubs because Atalanta had a shock loss to mm. to, to Lecce. Bad bad game from Atalanta. They 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 looked flat. They played very badly. They looked like the team that had played in Europe during midweek. Only they hadn't. Uh, and yeah, so just a huge blow for them in the top four race. And it was deserved win for for, for Lecce. It was a, another scalp for Lecce. And you know we they they, they drew with Roma uh, the week before. Um, beat Atalanta the weekend and you know they've in 2023 as, w- as well as those two results they've also drawn with Milan and beaten Lazio um, and then earlier in the season they beat Atalanta earlier in the season so they've done the double over Atalanta um, and obviously they're the, they're the only team this season to have taken uh, anything out of Napoli at, in Naples um, so yeah they're having a really really great season um, Lecce are and you know they had players missing in this game as well Stravezzo only started on the bench Colombo didn't start uh, you know, uh, Umtiti was injured as well. I mean, fantastic, fantastic. Look, Lecce, um, again, Pantaleo Corvino, the local kid, um, is uh, the sporting director who's back there. Um, he started his career once at Lecce, did great at Fiorentina, went to Bologna, didn't do, you know, brought them back to Serie A, then went to Fiorentina, didn't work out, and then now at you know he's he's born in 1949. This is his he's back in his old stomping ground and he's delivering. Um, their youth teams are doing great um, because the man knows how to find young players. And he's um, you know this is his like kind of final curtain call and he's probably you know doing the best he's ever done. I mean they won the Serie B last last year. Um, no, look, it's it, again when when Italian sporting directors. You know I keep hammering on about how. How, what a craft it is! Good sporting directorship. 
Pantaleo Corvino embodies that. And it's uh, so nice to see him back in his own old, old, old stomping grounds, delivering one last time with players that, from Strafezza to Baschirotto to Yulmand to, you know, just finding Umtiti, you know, and, and just making that work. Um, it's, it's so impressive. It's so impressive. And, you know, they, 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 I think they will stay up and I think they've got a chance at finishing 12th, 11th, 12th, 13th, which would be a great, you know, shout for them. And one thing that Lecce have done this season is they've slashed ticket prices, made them really cheap and, and season tickets. And that's why their stadium is packed every single week and it creates a completely a crazy environment around them as well. Um, so I'm really happy that we have a Southern team um, that will stay in the Serie A. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, right. Um... And just one more final thing on on Pantaleo Corvino. He, was, he should have, given how good he is, been destined to... To be to play to to be in charge of a sporting director at one of the big clubs, but unfortunately, you know he's not. Maybe he doesn't dress like as sharply as a Luciano Moggi, and these things matter in Italy. You know, he's not as eloquent, maybe, and 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 his physical appearance and stuff like that. And so, he's never been given a shot shot at the highest level. And at this point in his age, at this age in his career, he'll probably never get that big shot. And I think that's a shame. I really think so because I think he is one of the greatest sporting directors that Italy's ever seen. Yeah, no, he certainly is. Um, okay, the other games from Serie A this weekend. So Sampdoria one, Bologna two. We I think we know that Samp are going down. Fiorentina um, <coughs> one, Empoli one, and on Monday we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Torino play against Cremonese um, to finish off the, the Serie A calendar. Um, Champions League uh, returns again this week. Uh, we've already discussed that already. So Frankfurt versus Napoli on Tuesday, uh, Inter versus Porto on Wednesday. Those are first leg, last 16 games. And Europa League and Conference League is the second leg games of the matches that were played last week. So Nantes at home to Juventus. That was one all in the first leg. Roma 1-0 uh, down to Salzburg. Roma at home, but decimated uh, and then in the conference league Fiorentina oh, already through they won 4-0 against Braga uh, in the first leg uh, they're at home in the second and Lazio go away to Romania uh, they're 1-0 up against Cluj okay just, just too quickly on on the Champions League thing uh, Frankfurt are an attacking side they're very attack dangerous in, in in how they attack and Napoli needs to watch out, watch out. I think if Napoli fail to go through, that will be a failure because I think Napoli are better than Frankfurt. Um, and and I kind of I'm getting this kind of lump in my stomach that they won't go through. Um, as for Inter and Porto, Porto are a very difficult side to play against. Uh, they're gritty, they have injury problems. Uh, Mehdi Taremi, the Iranian striker, has become a complete striker under Conceição, and Conceição's teams, no matter who starts, whether it's a youth player or a starter, whoever is on the pitch knows exactly what he needs to do and how much he needs to do it, and when he needs to do it, and how and when. Porto, I think this, I think Porto Inter is going to the wire. I think we're going to see a winner on penalties in the second leg. This is a really tough game, and I hope that Napoli and Milan can go through, but. I'm I'm a little bit concerned because of how Frankfurt play, and and that that might surprise Napoli. I could easily see that happening with Porto, and they're the form team in Europe. Actually, they won ten ten games in a row, yeah, and they've conceded two goals in that time. So, yeah. I think it's going to be tight. 
and they're a horrible team to play against um, as well. And they play four four fucking two as well, don't they? Sometimes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your so, favorite formation. Yeah, so they'll be a horrible. And also, Conceição will want to prove something too, because I think he wants to return to Inter and coach. Well, he's already knocked out Milan and Juventus, so well, why that's not knock out Inter as well? Yeah, exactly. And, and and not only that, and also because Conceição, I think, looks at Inter as as I think he wants to coach in the Serie A, and I think he looks at Inter as unfinished business because he flopped there as a player. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Did better at Parma, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And could, Lazio. Could, it's outstanding, yeah. Lazio. Yeah, that could easily happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as for Frankfurt, I think they're a dangerous team as well. Uh, Randall Colomani, who I was begging the Italian top Italian teams to sign on a free transfer in, in the summer. Um, but they didn't, you know. Milan decided to <laughs> Milan decided to sign Origi oh uh, instead. And um, oh my you know, god! And know, now PSG you know. are after him, from from what I understand. He's he's uh, well. Uh, Frankfurt are asking for a hundred million. Um, of course they are. He's, he's a fantastic player. He's a fantastic player, um, and so he's definitely the man to watch. But they've got other good players. I think Indica, isn't Indica on a free transfer? He's on a Bosman, yeah, yeah. So naturally, he's, he's, the Italians won't sign him. They'll go oh, after Chris Smalling. Inter will go after Chris Smalling or Acerbi. Yeah. Kamada <laughs> is good as well. I had a very good group stage. They've they got some dangerous players, mm. uh, Frankfurt. Um, but, um, you know, it, it depends how they go. If they go toe-to-toe against Napoli, I mean, that could, could play into Prada's mm. and Ossiman's hands. That could, that's the thing. How can Napoli withstand the pressure? Yeah. Yeah. There will be goals. Be goal be, I was going to say, it's going to be a goal. I think th- these two are like mirror opposite, these two tri- these two clashes. Frankfurt, Napoli, goal, orgy, interview, yeah. Porto, nothing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nothing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Okay, right. Um, just to finish off, we'll do Badjo and Prem Face of the Week. Okay, right. Do you have a Badjo? I've got a Prem Face. For me, Clara. Um, Quara's dribble, Quara's, you know, that, that performance where he just, uh, he was, he was unbelievable. Um, so, so I think for me, Quara, Quara's performance and individual brilliance for that opening goal is, is Baggio-esque. It actually reminded me a little bit of Baggio in World Cup 1990 against Czechoslovakia. No, there is, there are some similarities, isn't there, between mm. the two players? Yeah. For sure. Um, okay. Prem face of the week. Um, do you have one? Well, I think I already mentioned it. Our good friend Mark Oldbridge, um, who doesn't know anything, <laughs> doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but then again, it's not. That's that's like you know, in a, every day that ends with a Y, is, is he says something stupid. So I don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, my prem face of the week is UEFA. Uh, oh yeah so, this is so good <laughs> so it was so this is funnily enough that Roberto Baggio and Gary Neville actually share the same birthday uh, believe it or not um, when the gods were handing out their talent on this day they obviously had run out of talent once they finished with Baggio so they didn't have any much left and they, and they had to give the, the slithers to, to Gary Neville uh, but um, yeah so so UEFA did a did a, um, did a compilation video on the career of uh Roberto Baggio, or at least they thought they had, uh, and so they put, they put out, uh, you know, remembering the career, the amazing career of Roberto Baggio, and then did a compilation of Gary Neville's career, in which <laughs> he basically just did bog standard slide tackles for, for, for a minute, like just the most like <laughs> totally unremarkable tackles that you could ever get, you know, like. 
just just nothing special about them at all. Just like a couple of them were just just like kicking the ball out of play, basically. And like, it was just hilarious. And like every single comment was just like one of just absolute confusion. Like, what the hell are we? Is like, what the hell is this? What is this? You know, what am I looking at? Oh here? dear. And it took uh, them about half an hour before the before they noticed it, but not before they did absolutely destroy it. <laughs> it was funny. That was really, was, really funny. It was hilarious. Funny. It really was. I mean, the two players that you could put together, Roberto Pedro and Gary Neville, and then I'm certain that somebody at UEFA was doing this on the wind-up. Just to, just no, to piss, I think it was a mistake. <laughs> I think it was a mistake. I think they got their videos crossed um, and they were going <laughs> to upload it, and obviously they did. It's, it's just... Someone's widening us up. Someone is no, pissing off you. Yeah. I mean, no I, I think here. I tweeted. It. <laughs> it, 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 this has taken anti-Italian discrimination oh too far. God. I mean, you can cheat us in games as much as you want, but <laughs> but Never, never, mix up Adjo and Neville. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you about. Did I ever tell you about the time when um, I was at I was at university um, at the time? Um, So Juventus were playing against Man United in the Champions League. I think it might have been the year that Juventus got to the final of the Champions League. I think it was two thousand and three, and I think it was in the second group stage. And um, Man United went to 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 Juventus and they won three nil in Turin, and um, and at three nil. 3-0 3-0 in the lead. Um, Gary Neville tried to chip uh, Buffon from like, <laughs> from like 25 yards out uh, and he hit the bar. He hit the bar. Like, like of all the players, like this is probably the only time in Gary Neville's career where he ever did anything resembling anything skillful. And he actually did that. And, and I just thought this has just taken the piss. Like this was just like, I couldn't, I just lost it. I lost the plot because I was already like angry and humiliated getting destroyed 3-0 by Man United at home. But then to see Gary Neville try and chip the like the greatest goalkeeper in the world from like 25, 25 30 yards, execute it perfectly, perform beat and all ends up, and then seeing it hit the bar, and I just lost the I just lost the plot. I think the ball hadn't even hit the bar, and I picked up my chair in my in my halls of residence, right, and I threw it against the wall, against the, the door, and there was a massive dent in the back <laughs> that was created in the back of the door, and that dent was there for the whole for the rest of the year. And I had to. I remember for the rest of the year, I had to put. I had to put a, a, put a suit up, uh, uh, covering the covering the, the the dent in the door, so that every time the cleaners came in, they didn't notice the the dent. Because I because I didn't want to like get charged for, for you know for, for damage or anything. And I somehow managed to get away with it. And I never ended up paying paying a fine or anything for the damage I did. And that was because of Gary Neville trying to chip the phone. And I just lost the plot for a chair at the door like, in anger. That's it. <laughs> I'll never forget it, and that was that, that. That was that was the first memory that came back when I when I saw, um, yeah, UEFA mixing up Badger and Neville. Yeah, no, I get that. And no, we're not we're not condoning vandalism, even though Carlo is. All overcharged, man. They can yeah. pay for it themselves. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Right. That's all we have time for today. We'll be back on, well, definitely on Thursday. For well, Tuesday, day. tomorrow for the Q&A pod. Um, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was def- coming to that. I was coming to that. Well. Yeah, Thursday for the review show because I like to go backwards and forwards. <laughs> Tuesday for the Q and A, and then we might we might have an, an interview episode. We are yeah. we are we've got one lined up, but we're, we're seeing if we can do it this week um, with a with a personality from the Italian football world. And um, yeah, if we do, we will we will push that out during the week as well. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Right, let's leave it at that. Um, we'll see you again on Tuesday. Until then, ciao ciao.